And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang, thanks for coming back, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of what we're calling, what What did somebody call it on the, online? Uh, Implane. That, that was clever. Implane. My Public Life as an American Nerd. Uh, so I got a couple of emails. First, I want to say thank you to everybody that sent me emails regarding last episode, uh, the you know premiere of, of season three. I do appreciate that very much. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to address is one of the emails from a, a specific gentleman by the name of Ron, Ronald, Ronnie. Um, I'll just call you Ronnie if you don't mind. Um, he said that he really enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much. But he also said that he was hoping for me to talk about Star Wars, you know, because now uh, come this December, there is going to be a Star Wars movie uh, episode number nine, which is called Rise of the Skywalker, I believe is what they're running with with the working title. Now. How do I say this? I, I, you will not hear me talk much about Star Wars uh, pretty much all year long. And the reason why is because I'm going to go in cold. I want to uh, bring, you know, because we weren't, I don't think we were recording when uh, Last Jedi came out. And while I know plenty of people that really enjoyed The Last Jedi, I was not one of them. In fact, I was quite disappointed. It, it just was something, it was aimed at a different audience, a different generation, and it just did not connect with me. So with J.J. Abrams coming back to the helm of Episode Nine and you know hitting us with The Rise of Skywalker, I tend on going in completely cold and in doing so that means i have to avoid all the news now like i went into the end game and i went in completely cold now like my brother in which i'll try to bring him on uh, one of these days talk nerd he investigated everything and and for some people i guess that enhances the experience but for me I get a bigger pleasure going in cold. So I will not be talking about Star Wars unless it's absolutely something epic. Uh, I, I just I don't plan on talking about it. Um, and in further response to the question, yes, I have read the extended universe. Um, and... Right now, as it stands, now I haven't read any of the new stuff since Disney's taken over because I know that they, they changed it from canon to legend and then somewhere, somehow, some pieces became legend and some are can I don't know, it's confusing. But as of right now, uh, pre-Disney buyout for the, the Lucas company, I would say that Darth Plagueis is my absolute favorite book. And... If you haven't read that, it's it's amazing. Um, a friend of mine let me borrow it, and I think I read it twice, and it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, with saying that, I am a Star Wars fan. I enjoy Star Wars. I watch Star Wars, one of the movies, at least once a month. One of them comes out of the case and, and pops into the Blu-ray player, and, and I watch it. So it's not that I dislike Star Wars. It's just I want to because as of right now, you know, the the way I kind of look at it is they're going to have Ryan Johnson come back in and do the new three, you know, the new prequels or not prequels, but the, the new trilogy, as it were. And he's already made it clear that his 
aim for the audience is not people in my age range, and I'm I'm 42. Uh, in fact, I was born May 8, 1977. So I was born four days after the 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 great May the Fourth be with you, 1977. So that kind of tells you where I'm at in, in Star Wars. Um, but anyway, yeah, he's he's doing the new trilogy. And they're not going to be directed for my age group. They're going to be more towards like my little girls, uh, you know, who's aging towards four and eight. Um, so this conclusion, episode nine, to me, feels like it is the the end of an era. You know, after this, I don't feel that Star Wars is going to be directed for me, and I don't feel like I'm going to be able to relate to them. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to go see the movies, because I know my girls will want to see them. But I, again, I'm just going in to the 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 coming what is it, ten, eleven, and twelve, full realization that these are not made for an old middle-aged man. I, I get that. And I'm okay with that. So I want to go in blind. This is episode nine. This is the end of an era. So I just I won't be talking a whole bunch about Star Wars. Okay. With that said, I do have a lot to talk about as per usual. Um, let me, let's see, where do I want to go? Let's, let's talk about, okay, uh, last episode I talked about the, uh, Dark Phoenix bombing at the, uh, at the box office. And during the time that I had reviewed the articles that was presented to me, I had not seen the movie. And I felt like it was kind of my obligation to go in and see the movie and come back to you and tell you, do I agree or do I disagree? So last week I went and I saw The Dark Phoenix and visually, it was stunning. But, you know, that's the thing about nowadays. You know, everything is visually stunning. And I felt the story was confused. The The writer-director, who is the same guy who did the last attempt at the Dark Phoenix, came back. And, and not only, you know, because he failed last time in the X3, you know, X-Men last stand. And for his reward, they let him write it again and they let him direct it this time. And if you pick it up on the tone and the words I'm using, you kind of already figure out how I feel about the dark Phoenix movie. Um, he just does not understand the, the characters of the X-Men. Now, I approach this differently from some people, and I'm not saying I'm the greatest writer that's ever walked the face of the planet. I am nowhere saying that, okay? So just get that out of your heads right now. But I appreciate a little thought put into the movie. Okay. And and I, I was on it, and, and yes, I do. I get on and I read, you know, different people talk about different things in different groups on Facebook. and. I, I would approach it – okay, this is how I would approach it. Now, I do understand the whole women's liberation movement that's going through media right now, and I'm totally cool with that. I've got two daughters. I want them to grow up and be independent. Okay, I, that's just a father speaking. So I don't have a problem with a strong, independent woman, okay? In fact – Phoenix, Jean Grey, is possibly my favorite female character. Her and Cyclops, their story together, are my absolute favorite characters, period. It doesn't matter what book it is. They are my favorite superheroes, okay? So I, I, I appreciate it. I really do. And I tried to put forth an effort to take it all in, in an objective eye. But the problem is, is you change, and it, okay, 
let me just back up. If I were to make the movie, I would use the same team through every movie. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it so much. Like it was changed that I felt it was changed in dark Phoenix. Now I would use now number one, I would use the original X-Men because a lot of people are like, Oh, you can't make an X-Men movie without Wolverine. I totally disagree. Completely and utterly disagree. You can. And it would be really good. But what you do is neither A, you remake the original with the original X-Men. Okay? And then and and I like that idea that they did. You know, starting off in the sixties, then the seventies, and then and I think they they skipped the eighties and went to nineties, which blows my mind because I, I don't know, I, or was it the seventies, eighties? I have to look. But anyway, I like that concept. I like the idea that they gave us glimpses into the different decades. That was totally cool. Thought it was unique. But what I would do is in the 60s, give you the original X-Men, okay, which is Cyclops, Beast, Jean Grey, Iceman, and Angel. And, of course, deleted by – deleted. oh, my God – led by Professor Charles Xavier. Then I would jump to the 70s, okay? And then I would introduce Wolverine, of course, and I would introduce mm, – I don't know maybe storm those are a good character because those because if you know anything about the the lore of the x-men um you know in 1970 75 if memory serves me correctly they presented the x-men giant size number one which introduced a whole new cast of x-men now if you want to be that traditional you can go that route because it has the original X-Men in it, but offers the new version of the X-Men. Okay. Then if you want to go and make it a trilogy, which I don't know why everybody's stuck on trilogies, but they are, but this is just me. Okay. So I'm not even going to worry about trilogies. If I was handed this, the the keys to the X-Men cabinet, this is what I would do, okay? So the original story, 1963, where Magneto tries to take over Kennedy Air Force Base and blows everything up, or tries to blow everything up, but stopped by the X-Men, okay? I would totally do that. Then jump to the 1970s and do the whole missing X-Men they put together an international X-Men team and they go and, and save the original X-Men. And at the end, there's like 14 X-Men. Okay, that's what I would do. Then I would jump to the 80s. And of course, 80s represents Days of the Future Past because that's when uh, Chris Claremont was listening to the Moody Blues. And, you know, that's that's I don't know if people realize that, but that's where the name came from. Is from a Moody Blues song called Days of the Future Past, which is an absolutely beautiful story in, in context to the way it's supposed to be presented. And I would do that. Okay. Then I would jump to the 90s. And then I would do the whole blue team, gold team, and try to inner circle it, you know, make it all intertwined. And I know that would be difficult, but I think it could be done. And again, the original five X-Men combined with, you know, cool characters like Gambit and Rogue and Psylocke, Jubilee, you know, they're all intertwined with the original. Okay. That would be doable. And we could do like the Avalon story where pretty much um, Magneto takes uh, asteroid M and turns it into a safe haven called Avalon. Totally, you know, great story. Great story. Original X-Men in it. Keep on going. You got the 90s covered. Then you go into 2000. Now, that's where it would be hard for me because that's kind of where my, my X-Men, the X-Men that I grew up with, kind of change. And I don't know. I would probably... To be honest with you, I would probably do – oh, what is that called? 
I would probably do the Schism storyline. Again, it has the original X-Men in it. Cyclops has taken over what is Genosha, essentially. No, it wasn't Genosha. It was Asteroid M again. Uh, Asteroid M crashed to Earth. He took it over, turned it into a safe haven. I think it was in the realm of Genosha, if I remember right. Anyway, I would do that. And, you know, at the end, have the X-Men split. That would be a beautiful way to end a four-movie run and leave it open for more interpretation to reboot the series or to keep going with X-Men stories. And I, I think that would work because you would be real to the characters of the X-Men. As to where with the Phoenix, sorry, I went on a complete, complete ramble there. Um, they just changed it constantly. The only thing that to me felt relevant was Mystique's character. Um, and I don't like how they played it where she was all just great and mighty and, and kind of put down Professor Xavier. Now, I do understand that they probably are pulling from some concepts where Xavier was considered, you know, they were they were trying to make Xavier feel like a bad guy, you know, with some things that he'd done and, and questionable character. And I get that, but I didn't feel that was necessary because that was in the wrong time frame. And... I just I felt that the story was boring. I, I I just I'm sorry. And I know people are probably thinking, well, your podcast is boring. I'll accept that. I really will, especially after a ten minute rant on the X-Men and what I would do with it. I would to I, I totally take that. I own it. But that's what I feel. I feel that it was boring. I felt that the editing was done in the best possible way to tell, to try and tell a coherent story. And I think that for what it is worth with all the smash cuts, Jesus Christ, all the smash cuts, you, you can kind of tell they were just taking this piece, this piece and this piece and then and trying to thread it together with the idea of what was before them in the script and to make the movie interesting. Okay, they tried. I, I, I get it. They tried. But I feel that even with that and the reshoots and all the money that they spent um, just completely failed. And I feel that it, it, it yeah, um, it wasn't that. It was, I give it about a two, about, yeah, about a two. Uh, two out of five, and I'm, I'm being kind of generous, I feel. But I've always been somebody that is kind of hard on movies, um, especially when it comes to X-Men, because I love the X-Men, I really do. Uh, I, I just, I don't know, since I was 10 years old, 1987, uh, my cousin Michael introduced me to the world of X-Men, and that always intrigued me. And it wasn't until many years later that my aunt gave me a stack of comic books, X-Men comics, that uh, I actually started reading. And that's when I really delved into the, the world of the X-Men. So I have a deep appreciation for the history because I've read them all. I've, I, I mean, if you go to like my Comicology account, uh, I have probably – what was it? 514 issues before they started recirculating, or not recirculating, but renumbering, restarting the, the, the series over and over and over again. There was like 514. Um, I'd say I probably have like 350 of those. And I've read them all. Multiple, multiple times I've read them all. So there's my, gosh, I'm, I'm at, what, almost 20 minutes now. Uh, ranting about it so i i didn't care for it i mean, you can always email me and tell me i'm full of crap that's completely okay um i respect your views I, you have the right to to like something that i don't and that's totally okay i mean i know that we live in a world where it's not a popular idea to disagree with the popular idea but 
if you disagree with me, that's totally cool. And you know what? I, I like to debate. If you can come to me and say, hey, I like it because of this, that, and whatnot, I welcome you, and I, I, I would really enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, you, you've if you're at the Jaisal Mon, uh, Modcast website, just scroll down. You'll see my ugly mug. Click on it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email. Um, I'm not hard to reach. All right, gang. I am at the 20-minute mark. I've been ranting about Star Wars. I got on a big rant about the X-Men and how they were like a serious bomb at the box office and why that. But I, I – well, okay. Speaking of bombs, uh, Men in Black, I, I was around when the first one came out, of course. I, I was in uh, – where was I? Arkansas? I think I was living in Arkansas when the first one came out, and it was it was just absolutely a, a blast. I, I enjoyed it. And then uh, years later, Part 2 came out, enjoyed it. Part 3 came out. It was, it was okay. It wasn't, like, amazing, um, you know, but it was enjoyable. It was a good concept. It was good to see the characters back in form. Um, so there's a Part 4 technically um that just came out and it is what brings me to this article that i'm looking at um which is written by timothy dunahoe or dunahoe i apologize if i'm slattering your name and the name of the article is men in black international tanks worse than the dark phoenix see how i kind of wrapped all that in together huh uh, it says, <clears throat> Dark Phoenix is a commercial and critical bomb, earning just $32.8 million domestically in its opening weekend, a franchise low, and a tomato meter score of 23%. You know, let me just jump on here real fast. Um, I have never, ever, 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 ever been on Rotten Tomatoes, ever. I'm not even sure if it's RottenTomatoes.com, to be completely honest with you. I've never been on there. So, you know, just throwing that out there, that uh, tomato score is really meaningless to me. So I'm just reading this off the article, okay? All right, back to the article. And a tomato score of 23%. Leading writing director Simon Kinberg to fall on his sword. But there is a silver lining to be found. It is that at least the X-Men sequel isn't Men in Black International. Ooh, that's rough. I don't know. Honestly, it did look, to me, it looked a little bit better than the X-Men. But all right, keep on reading. Although Sony's rival was the clear winner at North American box office this weekend, that's not saying much. Like Dark Phoenix, it measly 30 million dollar gross represents a franchise low as does its 24 percent credit score on rotten tomatoes you know <clears throat> i only because i feel that it's how do i say this you know movies nowadays they, they spend an enormous money amount of money on actors and special effects and like i think the x-men will cost like 250 million dollars you know i don't know i i just let me just shut up and keep reading okay it says now i'm going in this slideshow so i don't know where this is going to take me okay kids it says just when you thought summer 2019 couldn't deliver a bigger flop than dark phoenix dot 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 Men in Black International comes along and says, hold my beer. Uh-huh, that's cute. So, <clears throat> Sony spinoff earned just $30 million in its domestic opening. That nearly $3 million less than Fox's final X-Men film. In fairness, Men in Black International cost about $90 million more to produce than the dark phoenix see what i mean that is like insane amount of money but 
and I MIB International North American opening represents a franchise low. So, two does its Rotten Tomato score of 24%. But it edges out Dark Phoenix in that regard. The X-Men film stands at 23%. And then for some reason there's a picture of Spider-Man. Okay. I don't know, gang. I just read him. So there you have it. It's, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I might see it as well. I mean, I, I did go see the the X-Men Dark Phoenix. I, I think I, I kind of have that lingering feeling like I need to go see Men in Black International to see if I agree with it or not. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's uh, I know my kids are wanting to see some other movies coming up too. Uh, since we're in the realm of comparing, you know, Men in Black and X-Men, uh, let me just keep going with the X-Men here and we're shifting gears and going into comic book land. And this one is Marvel reveals major X's mother is actually, and then spoilers. Now I have to say, I don't know who in the blue hell is major X. Okay. No clue. None whatsoever. Oh, so, uh, he looks like, I'm looking at the picture, and it looks like they took the helmet of Boba Fett, erased it, and drew a red X on it, which was the glass. Uh, and he's wearing a, a black and red X-Men outfit with a red X. So, okay, let's see what it says. Oh, and it's done by Liefeld. Really? Interesting. I thought it, you know, because they have, uh, they have Beast in the back, and it has that sketchy line that's very Liefeld-ish. But I didn't realize it was him. But it is. It's Liefeld. Okay, it says, let me give you your mandatory warning. Following article contains spoilers for Major X number 5 by Rob Liefeld, Bent Peoples, Adelso Corona, Rolulo Farja, or is it a Ha, Haddo Jr., and VCs Joe Sabino, now on sale. These names are getting harder. <clears throat> Um, okay, Rob Liefeld's Major X has been a major shot of nostalgia for current Marvel readers. The story of a time-traveling soldier known as Major X has distinctive art style of the 90s and takes us back to an outlandish story, wacky costumes, gigantic guns that define the era. One of the miniseries' most shocking moments came when Major X revealed that he was Alexander Nathan Summers. Oh. All right, all right, all right. Jeez. Ah, okay. Okay, we can do this, gang. <laughs> we can do this. Uh, okay. And <clears throat> um, emphasize on, on not Alexander, but Nathan Summers. Now, Alexander, which is interesting because that would mean that he was named after... Okay, because it's Cable... Okay. Jeez. Let me finish the sentence. I'm sorry, gang. Let me start over. One of the miniseries' most shocking moments came when Major X revealed that he was Alexander Nathan Summers and that his father was his time-traveling Cable. Yeah, so he's he's uh, Cable. Now, Cable is Christopher Nathan Summers. Yes, I told you I'm a nerd. This is why we listen to this is because I'm a nerd. And so Nathan uh, Nathaniel Summers, that comes from him. But Alexander, which is interesting because Alex Summers is his uncle, Havoc. So I find it very interesting that he would name his kid after his uncle and not his father. Just throwing that out there. 
So now there's two Alex Summers in the X-Men timeline. Okay, back to the, the reading. In Major X number 5, as Alex battles to save his realm from total annihilation, he's driven to protect another important person in his life, his mother. Dun, dun, dun. I'm doing this because I want to laugh. Storm. Now, <clears throat> um, Storm is his dad's age. Um, yeah. I'm literally rubbing my face because of this. Now, <clears throat> now this could be alternate reality, and Storm could be his age. Okay, whatever, but it doesn't say that. Um, Storm actually battled his father for the leadership of the X-Men. They're about the same age. Just saying. Okay, let me keep reading. Uh, oh, boy. It says Major X might be the room of comic books. Then that's not a bad thing. And it says this story takes place before the adult Cable died last year and before the young kid Cable took his place in the X-Men world. Alex has been time hopping while he's trying to save his leader, the external the person who brought mutants and Atlanteans, Atlanteans, Jesus Christ, really? Together in his timeline, where they built a war-free life. However, the Atlanteans, led by Namor and his twin, Namor and Laura, have turned on mutants because their waters are becoming inhabitable. And they want to rearrange their deal so their species will become the dominant one. Sorry, my voice is going out already. <clears throat> um, let's see. What does it say here? I really need to <laughs> do more podcasting. Uh, while trying to figure out the kidnapped external, Major X and his best and his world's beast, sorry, McCoy... M-K-O-Y, McCoy, ended up in the past with Cable and the X-Men. There, Alex revealed his lineage to Cable, who helped them find the external. After running afoul of Dreadpool, yes, Dread, D-R-E-A-D, Pool, and the rest of Namor's forces, the group fled to a dystopian future version of the mutant nation of Genosha, where the external was raised. As they continue to face off against Namor's force, the external protege, Aura, realize that they need to travel back to the past to keep Major X from being erased from history by saving his mother, Storm, and their enemies. While Storm is famously romantic associated with her ex-husband Black Panther, she is Cable. <clears throat> excuse me. She and Cable may have taken their relationship to the next level in the 90s. Throughout the decade, Marvel dropped several teasers about the relationship between Storm and Cable, but nothing serious ever came about it. So, we thought. Okay. I'm I'm seeing this for the first time this guy okay 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 i can yeah okay the bond between the two x-men go back to when storm became the enemy of the morlocks and sought counsel from cable who became enamored with her after seeing her strong leadership skills later on after hulk nearly killed cable it was heavily implied that something romantic was going on between Storm and Cable. While it was never implicably discussed, the union, that union, or a later encounter inspired by it, could have been the genesis of Alex's birth. 
While Storm was never visibly pregnant in the comics, any manner of time travel, gen generic experiment, genetic experiment, ultimate dimensions, and mind wipe shenanigans could still work into the plot. Yeah. Either way, Marvel Universe's Storm is clearly reeling from this electrifying reveal because for the last decade or so, there has been no strong link between her and Cable, much less a bond that could have resulted in a child. As it stands, it, it's clear that Major X has some secrets with sizable impact on the future will be revealed in the final issue of Major X. Major X number 6 goes on sale June 26th, 2019. Mm. All right. <clears throat> um, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> oh boy it's uh it's it for me it's kind of hard to, to follow uh you know and again it's it's written not for me it's not written for 42 year old farts you know it's written for the younger people and while i accept it doesn't mean i have to like it jumper tantrum all right uh let's see where do we want to go after this uh, how about the CW unveils Arrowverse Fall 2019 premiere schedule? Okay. I I openly admit before I start reading, I am a few seasons behind on everything, but I do thoroughly enjoy the CW Arrowverse. This fall, the CW will debut debut its Arrowverse series across the two week the first two weeks of October with Black Lightning coming in at the end of the month. According to TV Line, CW will kick off with the world's finest on Sunday, October 6th, Batwoman Season 1, Supergirl Season 5 premiere will air back to back in the 8 and 9 p.m. slots, respectively. Flash Season 6 premieres will follow on Tuesday, October 8 at 8 p.m. Arrow does come... <clears throat> excuse me. Arrow does come in until the following week. Premiere Season 8 at 9 p.m. on Tuesday, October 15th. Meanwhile, Black Lightning will arrive at the end of the month on Monday the 21st at 9 p.m. So CW is definitely kicking out some shows. It says, though an integral part of the Arrow universe, DC's Legend of Tomorrow will not return until mid-season this year. A return date was not announced, though the series is expected to pick up with this, this year's five-show crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earth. The crossover will air... For over five hours and two quarters, which indicates it will carry into January. The full schedule for the CW's lineup appears below. Okay, it says Sunday, October 6th, 8, 8, or 8 p.m. Batwoman series premiere, 9 p.m. Supergirl series premiere. The following Monday, the 7th at 8 p.m., All-American season premiere. Then, October 8th, at 8 o'clock p.m., season premiere of The Flash. Then, the following day, on the 9th, at 8 o'clock p.m., Riverdale returns. At 9 o'clock, Nancy Drew returns as well. Then, and this will make uh, Stephanie Barty quite happy, October 10th, at 8 p.m., Supernatural's premiere, season premiere, and then at 9 o'clock, Legacies season premiere. Friday, October 11th, Charmed season premiere. And then at 9 o'clock, Dynasty. Monday the 14th, All-American comes in with a brand new episode. And that Tuesday, October 15th, at 8 p.m. again, new episode of Flash. And at 9, Arrow comes in with a brand new season premiere. Monday, October 21st at 8 p.m., All-American, new, new episode, which is followed by the season premiere of Black Lightning. 
All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's let's try to get caught up. If if there's people out there like me and they're like, ah, oh, we're behind on the CW, let's try and binge watch as much CW as we can before the start of October so we can be caught up and we can all sit down and enjoy what the CW has to offer for us. Uh, as we're getting close to the 40-minute mark, I want to apologize. You can hear it. I can feel it in my voice. Um, my voice is not holding up as well as it did last episode, so I do apologize for that. We're almost finished. We're almost at the crossroads. Well, actually, we're past the crossroads. We're almost at the finish line. Uh, another thing that I want to talk about uh, before we wrap the show up is um, – I was looking through, and I'm always looking for something new and fun to, to talk about. And like I was telling you last uh, episode, I've really gotten into collecting uh, action figures. Um, specifically for me, it's, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. But, you know, a lot of people out there, like, oh, for example, my son. My son hates horror stuff. So I'm trying to find something that he might be interested in collecting. And this, to me, just really stood out. And uh, let's cover it. It's Hasbro debut, debuts Ghostbusters theme Optimus Prime as a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. Now, I really, really like the old Transformers. And I really like the old Ghostbusters. So this mishmash is just like an 80s fanboy dream it really is and if i want you to go google it right now it is ghostbuster optimus prime san diego comic con exclusive and just it, it is gorgeous it, it just i know i was looking for from my kid but you know i might end up picking this up myself i know and i'll get through it i'll read it to you i know the price is going to be a little steep but ooh, it is it is gorgeous. It really is. Okay, let's see if I can get through this without losing my voice. It says, Among all the fan-favorite franchise to be debut in the 1980s, Ghostbusters and Transformers each thrilled millions of fans worldwide. And a new toy exclusive to Comic-Con International in San Diego next month will combine the best of both worlds. Hasbro has unveiled an Optimus Prime figure that can transform between its recognizable big rig vehicle mode to the mighty leader of the Autobots with a visible twist. The incarnation of Optimus Prime comes in the familiar white and red color scheme of Ecto-1, the Ghostbusters' main ride with an advertisement for the Ghost Hunter's service on the side adorned with green slime mm -hmm. to better handle the paranormal threats Optimus has his own proton pack to dispel and capture ghosts while Slimer comes with a large trap that can transform into a large pad for the Autobot the package toys come in a Ghostbusters Transformer branded pack that can be worn like a backpack. And it is really cool. It really is. And the neat thing is, is if you look inside the Optimus Prime chest, you can actually see the Ecto-1 uh, license plate. That's just so cool. Um, and then the <laughs> the box is looks like a, uh, you know, the backpack to the... Um, Oh my gosh, what are they called? The streams. And down at the bottom is an Autobot symbol. Really, really cool. Looks really cool. Uh, like I said, go Google it and you'll, you'll totally dig it. Um, I'm looking at it in diesel mode and it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's cool. It's, it's uh, white and red, uh, like it was saying. It's got the Ghostbuster symbol. And it says, call 555-2368. We're ready to believe you. And then Slimer is off on his own little cart. 
That's very cool. Um, it says Hasbro presently announced that Transformers action figure named Echotron, an Autobot that transformed between Echo One and a robot this past February. In addition to a mashup figure, IDW Publishing announced they would publish a comic book miniseries this summer featuring the new character. Transformers and, or, well, it says, it actually says Transformers X, Ghostbusters, MP, 10G, Optimus Prime, Ecto 35 edition figure will be available at Comic-Con International next month for $149 while supply lasts. And yes, like I said, I knew it was expensive, but, uh, you know, it's a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, and when it goes and it hits eBay, it's going to be a lot more. All right, kids, we've got one last story to cover. Uh, this one's for my brother-in-law, Aaron. Um, he actually, he let me borrow my Hero Academy. Uh, what is this? Season one. And um, I know he's really into it. So this one's for you, Aaron. Uh, and it is My Hero Academy. Season 4 gets teaser release date. Popular shown anime, My Hero Academy will return for its fourth season this October 12th. The announcement was made on the official, official My Hero Academy website. It was accompanied by a promotional teaser trailer. In addition, the website confirmed that the arrival of, the, of a new character, Sir Night Eye, who will be voiced by Shakukuku. Ah, wow, I screwed that up. I am so sorry. Shinakuroko Miki. No dub actor has been cast in the role as of this article. Funimation will screen the season four premiere at the Anime Expo on July 6th. After that, Funimation will stream the series on its website as it airs in Japan. The highly popular Shonen series is based on a manga by Kohi Hirokoshi. My Hero Academy features a world where everyone is born with a quirk or superpower. One boy born without a quirk, Hidemoyu, is you an idolized hero and wishes to be one, despite being powerless. After a chance to encounter his idol, the hero almighty, Midoroyi, gains the power of one for all. Now, sporting a highly self-defensive quirk, he enters the UA Academy in hopes that he can learn to become the world's greatest hero. In addition to the new season, My Hero Academy will receive a second film this winter following the international release of the first theatrical My Hero Academy Two Heroes, which again will be airing season four, October 12th. There you go. That one's for you, Aaron. I, you know, it's just, I've always been an advocate for anime and Japanese manga. And it's really, really cool to see that, you know, even after all these years, all these decades, it's it's still it's still resonating with the new generation. And, you know, there is plenty to be divided over nowadays. But that is one thing. It doesn't matter young, old, it doesn't matter what your race is, what your sexual orientation is, if you're rich or poor, if you're an American, or if you're Middle Eastern, if you're Christian, or if you're atheist, it, none of that matters, because we can all come together and enjoy being a nerd. We, we come together as a nerdology. You know, that's, that's, that should be our religion, a nerdo nerdology or neurologist, you know, because that's, that's what, 
we are, you know. And like I said, despite the fact that we're full, especially right now, of a, a world so divided over everything, we can all come together and agree that we are nerds and we enjoy what we get. Just a little food for thought there. Uh, I didn't mean to be poetic, but that's kind of just the way it kind of came out. I want to thank all of you for coming in and enjoying me lose my voice. <laughs> um, I, I've sucked down my tea, so my voice is getting really raspy. I don't got nothing to drink at this point. And since we're at almost the finish line, I'm just going to go ahead and and kind of rough it out until we get there. And then I'll go and get something to drink. But thank you so much for coming in. Um, I do so much appreciate it. Come back next week. We're going to do it all over again. I'll find some more. And uh, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll go check out Men in Black International. And I'll come back and I'll tell you some more. And then uh, we'll. I want to talk a little bit about my PCE uh, Pop Culture Expo, which is February 20th in Victorville, California. And uh, if anybody in the high desert is listening, I, I do expect for you to come and, and visit me um, while I will be running the show. I do plan on doing a live uh, podcast there. We're, we're doing live podcasts for the Jaisal Modcast Podcast Network. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about uh, a lot of my other stuff, you know, like the world of myth as we're approaching the 15 year anniversary on that. Um, my novel is coming out. Um, it's still quite a few months away, but it's coming out. Uh, there's a um, cover being rendered as we speak. And there's so much more to talk about. So come back next week and we will do it all again. Okay. So I am your host, David K. Montoya, and for this episode of My Public Life as an American Nerd, I bid you adieu.